today uh, I'm speaking on the doctrine of God and the analogy of being. And um, uh, as a philosophic matter, the doctrine of God is founded upon understanding of the analogia entis. After all, no other foundation is possible as outside being, there is nothing. The analogicity of being and its foundational character are conspicuous. First, in his metaphysics, Aristotle affirms that being is not a genus, as it must contain all its differences, whereas a genus cannot contain the difference that is the foundation of species, because then all beings of that genus would necessarily be of that species. Nor yet could being be a species as though it modified a substratum defined in terms of non-being. Thomas very clearly concurs with this teaching and develops it with great precision. As Thomas puts it, quote, nothing is able to be outside that which is understood by being if being is included in the understanding of the things of which it is predicated, end quote. Another way to understand the foundational relation of the analogical formality of being for the doctrine of God is the realization that there can be nothing in the conclusion of our reasoning that is not implicitly and actually present in the premises. Thus, if being means only being material in the premises that found our reasoning to the existence of God, then being can only mean being material in our conclusion. Hence, the analogical character of being is prior to and the foundation for the philosophic judgment that God exists, although some recognize the nature of this premise only after realizing the conclusion they have drawn. But the judgment that being is intrinsically analogous is not something solely available following the proof that God exists. My remarks today address, first, the foundation of the Aristotelian and Thomistic doctrine of God in the Analogia Entis, the analogy of being, understood in terms of the division of being by act and potency. Second, I consider the foundations of metaphysics and the real distinction of essence and existence. Third, this paper concludes by considering how this understanding provides the rational foundations for an account of God as infinite in every transcendental and pure perfection and as transcendent cause of finite being. Thus, this lecture is a little like a victory lap around the presentations of earlier speakers with a few addenda of my own. <laughs> the, the formality of being is an analogical formality. Aristotle articulates the roots of the analogy of being in the division of being by act and potency. In Book 9, Chapter 6 of the Metaphysics, quote, Our meaning can be seen in the particular cases by induction. And we must not seek a definition of everything, but be content to grasp the analogy. That is, that which is building is to that which is capable of building. So is the waking to the sleeping, and that which is seeing to that which has its eyes shut, but has sight, and that which is shaped out of the matter to the matter, and that which has been wrought to the unwrought. Let actuality be defined by one member of this antithesis and the potential by the other. But all things are not said in the same sense to exist actually, but only by analogy, as A is in B or to B, C is in D or to D, for some are as movement to potency and the others as substance to some sort of matter." End quote. At the beginning of chapter 9 of book 11, 
Aristotle further explains the metaphysical universality of the act potency distinction and the metaphysical extension of the term motion. Quote, each kind of thing being divided into the potential and the fulfilled, I call the actuality of the potential as such, movement, end quote. St. Thomas, of course, alike holds that being is divided by act and potency and that movement refers to the reduction of anything whatsoever from potency to act. This foundational division of being by act and potency is intelligible according to the analogy of proper proportionality. As potentially walking is to actually walking, so is potentially understanding to actually understanding. Although walking and understanding are simply different, a likeness of, di of diverse proportions. Normally, we reduce likeness to one univocal aspect. For example, circularity, set of different circular things, where circular has but one ratio. But being is and can be and is and can be thought and said in many ways, something that is discernible through simple rational induction. In Aristotle's account of physical beings, he achieves an analysis whose principles are actually and implicitly of metaphysical scope, but which are initially worked out in the explanation of being and change. What is not commonly realized is the metaphysical valence of Aristotle's analysis, the foundational character of the analogical division of being by potency and act, and indeed the understanding of motion as any reduction of a thing from potency to act, all of which, as noted above, are expressly shared by St. Thomas. The metaphysics of God derives from the objective evidence of proportionate being, and the analogicity of being comes to light in the division of being by act and potency, dividing being as such. In this light, two principles are paramount, as we've seen in earlier lectures the application of the principle of non-contradiction to being and the analogical division of being by act and potency. As for the principle of non-contradiction, Thomas himself is very clear in affirming that, quote, as sound is the first audible, being is the first intelligible, end quote. Thus, any denial that being is universally intelligible leaves precisely nothing intelligible, since outside of being, there is nothing. The very principle of non-contradiction in its chief and metaphysical formulation that being is not non-being is according to St. Thomas in Summa Theologiae Prima Secundae, question 94, article 2, the basis for the logical principle of non-contradiction. Thomas, in referring to the logical principle, adds, quote, quad fundator supra rationem entis et non entis, which is based on the nature of being and non-being. This is a universal principle pertaining to being as such, and if it were not, then fundamentally there could be no such thing as objectivity because the mind would have no root capacity to conform to what is the case. The principle of non-contradiction articulates a real distinction, although not a real relation between being and non-being. It's not a real relation because what does not exist cannot have real relations. But it is a real distinction because by virtue of the character of being as such, it is contrary to non-being. Similarly, for example, even were there no creatures, it would be true 
that God is not a finite being, because by the very nature of God, he cannot be finite. Being is real, and hence really distinguished from its negation, which is not real. Precisely because of the ontological nature of the principle of non-contradiction, this principle raises the specter of monism as visible in the teaching of Parmenides and other forms of monism. Parmenides taught that being is one, immobile and unlimited, one because there is nothing other than being, and being is identical with itself, unchanging because being could not change into anything other than non-being, and non-being is not, and unlimited because nothing exists outside being that could actually limit it. Of course, one might look up into the air and see a a flock of birds go by uh, and note uh, that they're real. There are many of them. Observe the change in uh, their uh, bodily positions and action and note that they're all limited. Uh, So it would be easy to stop there with the rejection of monism as false. But Aristotle realized that an account must yet be given explaining how the principle of non-contradiction as pertaining to being may be reconciled with manyness, limit, and change. Otherwise, it would seem that sensible being is simply and radically unintelligible. It is one thing to realize that the Parmenidean account is incongruent with real evidence. It is another to understand how the real evidence is compatible with the principle of non-contradiction as an ontological principle without which objective knowledge of the real would be impossible. Aristotle affirms a real principle in things accounting for the susceptibility of being to manyness, limit, and change, a principle not identical with act, and yet not merely non-being, namely potentia, potency. We know that monism is incorrect if we trust our senses, We understand why monism is incorrect when we understand that potency is a real capacity founded upon act while not being itself actual. The marble is only potentially sculptable, but it is of its actual nature to be so. The principle of non-contradiction would necessitate denying manyness, limitation, and change only if potentiality did not pertain to real being. Hence, the principle of non-contradiction applies to real being even when limited by potency. Hence, being whose actuality is limited by its potential principle is limited in relation to that potency. Thus, all diverse analogical participations of being, all the various rationes or proportions of act as limited by potency, are what they are and not another thing. While Aristotle does not bring out the implications of this analysis in every respect, among other things, what is at stake is the metaphysical axiom manifest in St. Thomas's teaching, that act is not self-limiting. This axiom is in a way implied by the principle of non-contradiction itself, that being is not non-being. Likewise, St. Thomas's account of the participation of being by finite creatures is intelligible only in relation to the limitation of act by potency. As Kluvertans notes in his work on analogy, after the scriptum on the sentences, Thomas always explains that the totality of any participated perfection 
is not possessed in its entirety by the participating subject because the participated perfection can be received only according to the limitation of potency in the participating being. St. Thomas situates a doctrine of the Platonic and Neoplatonic origins, the doctrine of participation, firmly within an Aristotelian analysis. The perception that being is and can be, and is and can be said in many ways according to the likeness of differing rationes or proportions of act as limited by potency, involves what John of St. Thomas will call a confusio, or fusing together of differing modes of being, each of which is what it is and not another thing, but each of which is by induction able to be grasped precisely as a certain measure of act in relation to potentia. So understood, being is not univocal, but transcends generic and specific unity. St. Thomas notes in Summa Theologiae Prima Pars, question 88, article 2, add 4, that only the logical genus of substance, but no natural genus, unite separate substances or angels with material things. The angel with the butterfly. There is no natural genus of angel butterfly. Substance is not univocal, for it is and can be, and is and can be said and thought in many essentially varied ways, from the butterfly even to God. Yet there is an analogical likeness of diverse perfections of act. The angel and the butterfly and the existences of the angel and butterfly are simply different. Yet as existence is to the angel, so is existence to the butterfly. Being is not univocal like circularity, which signifies one thing however disparate its instances, but is intrinsically analogical with the analogicity of proper proportionality. This does not reduce to the merely mathematical, such as two is to four as three is to six, which reduces to one mathematical object, namely one half. For example, light is to the eye, as is truth to the mind. But light is not truth, the eye is not the mind, and the illumination in question is not univocal. This is a likeness of things that, that are different and that need not be generically or specifically identical. It must also be noted that in De Veritate, question 2, article 11, St. Thomas expressly identifies the analogy of being true and good with that of proper proportionality, a proposition which he nowhere retracts. While later on he uses the term proportion of creature to God exclusively in the sense of what in De Veritate he called an analogy of transferred proportion. Such transferred proportion is not a commensuration in a reciprocal determined relation, but does allow for a one-way proportioning of creature to God, and is not, strictly speaking, a proportion that could determine God in relation to the creature. The analogy of proper proportionality, as distinct from any analogy of strict proportion, does not require proper reciprocal determined relation to exist between the things analogically likened to one another. I mean, if I say that the dime is twice the nickel, then the nickel is half the dime. But the creature is really ordered to God. The converse is not the case. 
Thus, the analogy of being as an analogy of proper proportionality can extend to God, who is infinitely transcendent of the creature. The creature is really ordered to God, but not the, conver not the converse. And the analogy of proper proportionality alone permits intrinsic attribution of God without implying any determinate real relation of God to the creature. In Thomas's later works, when he speaks of proportion between creature and God, he is very clear that this term means merely any relation of one thing to another, but that it must expressly negate real order of God to the creature. Creation itself is not even an accident with respect to God as actus perus, who is so perfect that creating or not creating designates no change in God, but only in the creature. In any case, it is upon the analogical formality of being as a likeness of diverse proportions of act, a non-univocal object, less subject to precision than the objects of the positive sciences, that the analyses of physical motion and change of substance and accident of the four causes of human nature in the human person and of the derivation of all finite being from God reposes. The distinction of potency and act is found in many ways. For example, substance is to accident as potency is to act. Matter is to form as potency is to act. Essence is to existence as potency to act, and so on. It is precisely as a further development of the division of being by act and potency that Thomas's doctrine of the real distinction of essence and existence is properly understood. The analogical divisibility of being into potency and act is thus also the foundation of the causal resolution of limited finite being into the unlimited infinite first cause of all creatures. Before turning to the doctrine of God straightforwardly, a few words must be spoken about the foundations of metaphysics and the real distinction of essence and existence. Much has been written about the foundation of metaphysics. Jan Ertzen, in his famous Medieval Philosophy in the Transcendentals, considers that Aquinas abandoned his teaching in De Veritate regarding analogy of proper proportionality. Nonetheless, I'm strongly sympathetic with aspects of his analysis. In, in the following long quotation, Erickson writes, quote, The distinctive feature of St. Thomas's transcendental way of thought is that it moves in two directions, toward the transcendentality of being and toward that which is common by causality. The first movement is a resolution by which things are reduced to what is most common in them, in this reduction, the specific determinations of things are left outside of consideration. They are considered not as this or that being, but as beings. Being as such does not signify dependence, nor does it imply any restriction. It is indeterminate with respect to every mode of being. Being is common to all genera and is therefore called transcendental. The first resolution moves on a horizontal plane. It is an intrinsic analysis of that which is. The formal principle whereby a thing is being, ends, is its act of being, essay. 
The inner resolution is the condition for another resolution, the ascent to the most universal cause. Given the first resolution, it is clear that the most universal cause can only be the cause of being, for its causality is transcendental. The origin of being in general is understood as creation and explained in terms of participation. Being is the proper effect of God. He himself transcends being in general. God does not belong to the domain of the maxime communia. Thomas's transcendental way of thought seeks both the inner principle and the extrinsic cause by which a thing is being, end quote. Thus Ertzen. Yet while God does not fall within ens commune, or the being affirmed of substance in the categories, nonetheless, being is affirmed of God in its full perfection, without potency. Proper proportionality permits genuine affirmation that God is pure act, infinite being, true, good, and so forth. Without proper proportionality, the affirmation of God would either reduce God to finitude, a real determined reciprocal proportion to finite things, or else involve no genuine cognitive content whatsoever. The resolution to God would be unintelligible. God does indeed transcend being in general, or ens commune, but nonetheless, we do affirm that God is the full perfection of being, and this affirmation must be intelligible. Hence, the analogical formality of being is necessarily that of proper proportionality. Analogy of proper proportionality does not imply reciprocal real proportion. Permitting the affirmation of infinite perfection in God, nonetheless, it is consistent with real proportion or determined relation where these actually can be found, where they obtain, namely amongst diverse finite analogical perfections in created being. Thus, as the angel is to its being, so is the butterfly to its simple diversity. While yet we can affirm that the angel is of a superior grade of actuality to the butterfly, we can see real analogical diversity and relations of determinate finite perfections. But it is not the real analogical character of their relation that requires this determinacy, but rather the finite uh, limit of their perfection of act. By contrast, God is not merely first in a series, separated by the other, from the others by a limited gradation of perfection. God is first as infinitely transcending the creature. Within finite being, there are gradations of being. Yet the analogical formality of being as such does not require determined real proportion, but only the likeness of differing proportions of act. Thus wisdom in Solomon and wisdom in God are analogically diverse, and the wisdom of Solomon is a deficient but real likeness of the wisdom of God while the wisdom of God has no real determinate relation to the wisdom of Solomon, but infinitely transcends it and is in no way limited by it. Thus, perfections, being true good, may be intrinsically predicated of God because no reciprocal proportion with the creature is required. Even the relation of creation in the creature is founded on Haben's essay, 
on the creature having existence, because creation is not even an accident in God, who undergoes no change or relation of dependency. As Thomas argues in his scriptum on the sentences, if creation signifies God, it can signify only the immutable divine substance. If it signifies the creature, it signifies having being from another, which as a real relation is founded upon the creature having being, since non-existent creatures do not have real relations. Thus, the real foundation of the relation of createdness and of causal participation, the difference between God creating and God not creating, is the analogical formality of being in the creature. God is infinitely transcendent of finite being. Ericsson distinguishes the horizontal discovery of the being common to substance in the categories, the resolutio secundum rationum, as it is called, and the vertical resolution of finite created being into the causality of God, the resolutio secundum rem, noting that the first is the condition for the second. And I sympathize strongly with this, but the rationum in Ertzen's formulation must be taken not merely as reason, but as pertaining to real ontological measure. The reason for this is simply that one cannot achieve a real positive conclusion without real premises, and I, I think Ertzen intends this. The analogical division of being by potency and act is the condition for the ascent to the affirmation of God. It's often proposed that only after the demonstration of the existence of God is metaphysics possible as a science distinct from the physics. Thus it is thought the subject matter of the metaphysics presupposes prior demonstrations in the physics. Yet Thomas doesn't say precisely this, nor does he identify the subject matter of metaphysics with God, but with ens commune, the being common to substance and the predicables of which God is the first principle and cause. Thus, God is rationally inferred as the principle of the subject matter of ens commune in a causal resolution from limited being which cannot account for itself to actus perus. It is true that Thomas says in the Summa Contra Gentiles, Book 1, Chapter 12, that, quote, if there is no knowable substance higher than a sensible substance, there will be no science higher than physics, end quote. Arguably, if the existence of God were unknowable, metaphysics would not be possible. This is something quite intelligible, since Thomas holds there to be metaphysical demonstrations of God. So, if P implies Q, then not Q means not P. Thomas holds there to be metaphysical demonstrations of God. If that's essential to metaphysics and there is no God, then there is no metaphysics. Uh, as we have seen above, we may discover that the subject matter of metaphysics is distinct from the subject matter of the physics, which is the quasi-genus of material changing and moving being, in discovering that material being as a genus is incapable of coextensivity with being. This is because a, a genus does not include its differentiae, its differences, whereas being necessarily includes all its inferiors, since otherwise they will be held not to exist. Discovery of the reason why this is true, however, 
requires the later metaphysical realization that existence overpasses the entire order of material quiddity, that a thing is a real being not because of its mode of being, but because it actually exists. The judgment of separatio is the negative judgment that the intelligibility of being as such is irreducible to the quasi-genus of material being, the realm of matter and motion, which is clear from the fact that being transcends all genera. It is also clear from the truth that being overpasses material essence by reason of essay, and that potency and matter exist owing to essay existence, and not the converse, just as potency always exists for the sake of act, and not the converse. The irreducibility of being to material being is, in truth, implicit in the principle of non-contradiction itself. Being is not its own negation. Act qua act is not self-limiting, but limited only by potentia. This, of course, does not suffice to prove that God exists, but only to indicate that our initial knowledge of being cannot rule out the possibility of immaterial things which would be the case if being from the start meant merely material being, right? If, it, if it's the case that from the start being means only material being, then you can't have something in your conclusion that isn't in the premises, right? So your conclusion will be to a material being. If and only if the premises are intrinsically analogous is it possible to demonstrate God, period, end of sentence. Yet, one is in no position to derive metaphysical judgments except from proportionate being. And this, for human creatures, largely but not exclusively designates the world of changing, moving things. It's no accident that the metaphysical principles necessary to respond to Parmenides are also the principles necessary for the analysis of mobile being. The principles discovered in the physics are implicitly and actually of metaphysical import from the start. Form, matter, agent cause, final cause, substance, accident, and of course act and potency. The difference is whether these principles are derived solely for the sake of analyzing physical motion and change or whether they are derived to analyze being and motion as such. Remembering that motion is an analogical term that Thomas with Aristotle holds to pertain to the actualization of potency as such universally. While metaphysics is not merely Aristotelian physics on steroids, nonetheless the philosophy of nature is in the order of learning and of analytic resolution prior to the metaphysics. Yet it does not give metaphysics its subject which is presupposed to the physics because the object of the physics exists. When one becomes aware of the intrinsic analogicity of being demarcates the discovery of the subject matter of metaphysics, but much more is needed to pursue this subject matter than its mere recognition. Working through the proportionate applicability of metaphysical principles is heuristically necessary. Nonetheless, physical beings are beings not because they are physical, but because they are. And being is not a genus, not even the quasi-genus of physical motion and change. Act is not act because it is joined to potency. 
being is intrinsically analogical, consisting in a likeness of diverse proportions of actuality. This is the created corollary of the truth that the divine essence is imitable in many ways. It, all, it ought also be observed that Thomas expressly affirms that metaphysics gives the principles to all the other sciences. They all presuppose being and receives reciproc reciprocally from them only the particular limitations and causal implications derivative from their particular objects, all of which presuppose being. It's very clear that Thomas does not think that metaphysics is formally dependent on the physics, but the other way around, because being is presupposed to physical being. If the limitation common to physical being were taken as most formal, which is already a contradiction in terms, then either physical being would be nothing but potency, or else it would be actus perus, both of which are absurd. As for the real distinction of essence and existence, it is a further development of Aristotle's distinction of act and potency. Thomas's account of essay as the form of forms is not expressly found in Aristotle, although I cannot concur with the argument made by the late father Norris Clark that the metaphysical doctrine of the limitation of act by potency is not actually implicit in Aristotle's teaching. In my view, Aristotle clearly understands that manyness pertains to being only owing to potentia, and that there can be but one actus perus, whereas manyness involves act as limited by potency. Despite the influence of Avicenna, I do not consider the arguments of De Ente et Essentia given by Thomas to be merely Avicennian, nor does he anywhere renounce them. Finite quiddity or essence is intelligible to us. As Thomas teaches in the Summa Theologiae Prima Paris, question 85, articles 6 and 7, regarding a proper object, a power is not subject to error, but only with respect to the relations of this object with other things. And the proper object of the human intellect is quiddity in corporeal matter. Thus the mind, in knowing essence, without in that same act of knowing, formally cognizing existence, realizes that the essences of real things are distinct from their existence that the mode of their unity derives from the mode of their existence. Thomas must then universalize this real distinction of essence and existence discovered in physical things to include separate substances or angels. He argues that if there were even hypothetically a being whose essence were identical with its actual existence, there could only be one because all the ways in which manyness accrue to being presuppose potentia, and by hypothesis such a being would lack all potency whatsoever. Thus, if there were a being comprising the full perfection of act, whose essence were its existence, there could be only one. A fortiori, then, even angels, of which we have no direct quidditative knowledge, must be such that they are composed of form and being, of essence and existence. Thus, since all finite beings 
including the angels, of which we have no quidditative knowledge, are composites of potency and act, of essence and existence. All such beings must receive their existence at extra from outside. Essay is received as most formal. And because an infinite regress in essentially subordinated causes is impossible, and because even a potential infinitude of beings, which of themselves do not exist, must receive their being from without, they can receive it only from the one who is his own being, from God. We move from the analogical formality of being in the creature to the causal analysis, attributing the limited perfection of act as an effect to God who is his own being. As Thomas explains the matter in De Ente, quote, everything that pertains to a thing is either caused by the principles of its nature as risibility in man, or comes to it from an extrinsic principle as light in the air from the influence of the sun. Now it cannot be that being itself is caused by the form or quiddity of a thing. I mean as by an efficient cause, because that thing would then be its own cause and it would bring itself into being, which is impossible. Therefore it follows that everything whose being is other than its nature has its being from another. And because everything that exists through another is reduced to that which exists through itself as to its first cause. There must be something that is the cause of being for all other things inasmuch as it is pure being. Otherwise, we would go on to infinity in causes for everything that is not pure being has a cause of its being as has been said. It is evident then that an intelligence, speaking of the angel, is form and being, and that it holds its being from the first being, which is pure being. And this is the first cause, or God, end quote. Regarding God as pure act, ipsum esse, as Thomas puts it in the Summa Theologiae, Prima Paris, question 28, article 2, ad 1, we find, quote, nothing that exists in God can have any relation to that wherein it exists, or of whom it is spoken, except the relation of identity, and this by reason of, prompter, God's supreme simplicity. End quote. The very conditions under which we attain to the judgment that God is indicate that God is actus perus. This means, as Thomas puts it, that all perfections are affirmed of God as incomprehending God, because God is infinite, and as exceeded by God, because God, in God, the full perfection of all the transcendentals are found. But, but these are not uh, synonyms. Justice and love are not different names for the same thing. The full perfection of all transcendental and pure perfections is found in God without limit as incomprehending these perfections and exceeding them. That is this, is, this is an affirmation of these perfections in a way that we don't know directly. Infinite perfection. No determined relation to the creature. Only proper proportionality permits this. 
Thus there is no change, no potency, no real dependence or reciprocal relation to creatures in God. The divine essence is so perfect that creation signifies no change in God, but only his immutably perfect reality. In the creature, however, creation signifies having being from another, which, as we've seen, absolutely presupposes having being. Thus, the relation of causal participation and of createdness is founded on the analogical formality of being in the creature and on the likeness of diverse actualities in creatures, existentially, substantially, formally, operatively, in accidents and relations. The analogy of being is an analogy of proper proportionality of diverse likenesses of act and potency, which permits determinate proportion among creatures where it may be found, but does not require such determinate proportion permits intrinsic predication of God without implying real determined relation or reciprocal proportion of the creator to the creature or any dependence in God. St. Thomas Aquinas did very well in taking up and perfecting Aristotelian science for the sake of Sacra Doctrina to augment our acquired contemplation of our provident creator and Lord, the one who is. Thank you.